Welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. Your other host, Colin Ward-Henninger. I don't quite know where he is. The last I spoke to him, he told me he was driving back to San Francisco. I don't know what his starting point was. So maybe he's there. Maybe he's days away. I honestly couldn't tell you. But fortunately, we have a very qualified backup plan today. He is the host of Locked On Rockets. And I think he's the last member of Rockets Twitter that actually likes me. Jackson Gatlin. Jackson, how you doing? What's up, Sam? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm the last member of Rockets Twitter that likes you. I appreciate, uh, you know, deferring viewpoints. You know, I, I think that uh, ultimately that, that leads to some really healthy discussion and debate, especially in the Twitter sphere. Uh, so maybe we, we shouldn't go that far. But I'm excited to uh, to be here to talk about the state of the Rockets and uh, get down to the nitty uh, the uh, nitty gritty with you. I think the Westbrook trade really helped my standing in Houston because there was a point leading up to the bubble last year where I was a little worried that, like, if I step foot in the state of Texas, I don't know if I'm going to make it out. But you know what? I think we're all simpatico now. You know, I think getting Westbrook out of there probably helped me a little bit because now I've got nothing against John Wall. I've got nothing against Victor Oladipo. And I think I was mostly pretty pro-Rockets during the offseason. I think I'm back in their good graces. But right now, things aren't going great for the Rockets. They've lost a million games in a row, mostly since Christian Wood has been out. So take that with a grain of salt. But what I want to start with is kind of the state of the Rockets and what the plan is. And I want to turn the clock back a little bit to the moment they traded James Harden. Obviously, I think we were all a little surprised that, A, Jared Allen wasn't in the trade, or at least Jared Allen wasn't going to Houston. He was in the trade. He obviously ends up in Cleveland. B, Karis LeVert not going to Houston. He ends up in Indiana. C, they kind of make the win-now move for Victor Oladipo. It sort of seems at that point like they're trying to go I guess the Oklahoma City route from last year where you get all of these picks, but then you're also trying to remain competitive, maybe win a series or two and go from there. Now, obviously, that's not the case. They're basically in the tank. What I want to start with is what do you think their plan was when they made the trade, choosing Oladipo over Levert, choosing picks over Allen? And how do you think that's changed since this losing streak has started? Well, um, I think that ultimately when Rafael Stone looked at this situation that he, you know, was ultimately dealt and how best to salvage it, um, his MO this entire time has been uh, flexibility and leaving himself options on the table so that he's not hamstrung into one direction or another. And I think we saw a lot of that during his moves this offseason, kind of trying to both straddle the fence of, you know, recouping the depleted chest of future draft assets, you know, getting back, uh, you know, getting back a pick in the or a pair of picks, I should say, in the Robert Covington trade then getting back a pick, you know, jettisoning Russell Westbrook and bringing back in John Wall, taking on these kind of high risk, potentially high reward gambles on certain guys. And kind of, again, straddling the fence both in a sense of, okay, maybe if James Harden has a change of heart, maybe we're in a position to be still in that win now, you know, there's a level of talent, kind of some competitiveness with this team, but not a full-blown rebuild where you're just, you know, becoming true blue sellers, um, but also recouping the draft assets, all that. I, I think that, you know, with the Harden trade specifically, Ultimately, there's a lot of, you know, Rockets fans, especially who were upset that the the Rockets didn't get back, right? That one, like that cornerstone-esque player, like that really young, exciting player that you can look look towards a future with and think, yeah, this is a this is a really good building block for the team to start with after, you know, having to get rid of your franchise guy who's been the face of the team for the better part of the last decade. Um, and a lot of people were wondering why they didn't take back Jarrett Allen. 
I think that it's pretty clear that they view Christian Wood as the the five of the future. Now, whether you agree with that argument or not doesn't matter. I think that's what the Rockets viewed, right? They view Christian Wood as their starting center and they don't necessarily view him as a as a power forward to then play along a more traditional center like Jared Allen, a guy who is uh, undoubtedly going to get paid this summer. And again, that kind of falls back into the the mantra that I was preaching earlier that Rafael Stone values flexibility. So he didn't want to have to you know potentially uh, worry about trying to flip Allen at the trade deadline and trying to re, you know recoup some semblance of value there. Maybe he thought that Victor Oladipo was a better. Uh, somewhat of a win now piece, but also somebody that he could conceivably flip or just let walk this summer and, you know, have all that salary off the books to then play around with in free agency if they were to, you know, decide to go that route. So I think ultimately he's just trying to keep his options open. Uh, I understand the people who are upset that maybe, you know, they should have gone the the Ben Simmons route, uh, you know, with the package around Simmons and Maxi and all that stuff. But Ultimately, I think maybe Tillman Fertitta um, would have never le- never allowed that to happen because of uh, his uh, fractured relationship. We'll call it that with uh, Daryl Morey. So ultimately, I'm pretty pleased with what the Rockets have done so far. Uh, but w- obviously, we're going to unpack this a lot further. So let's touch on the Simmons part of this for a second. I was in the camp in a vacuum. If you can get the 24-year-old All-NBA player, you always do it. But I've started to come around a little bit just... Thinking about the way the NBA is now, if you trade for Ben Simmons, he's under contract for four years after this one, but you'd have to tear down a lot of that roster. I think Christian Wood would fit perfectly with Ben Simmons. I think that would be a really nice start to your foundation, but you can't keep John Wall if you have Ben Simmons, just that there's not enough shooting there. PJ Tucker is on his way out anyway. Eric Gordon, I think Eric Gordon is a little, he's gone from overrated as a shooter to underrated as a shooter over the last two years. I don't know that he's an ideal fit with Simmons either. It might have taken you two or three years to retrofit the roster around Simmons. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, you win a championship right now or you compete for a championship right now, or Simmons is going to move on to the next thing. And that's just sort of how the NBA works nowadays. And we can get into this with Christian Wood a little bit too. Like I've been thinking about this with Jeremy Grant in Detroit as well. One of the side effects of a lot of the best players this offseason getting three-year deals from teams that are in the lottery. One of the side effects is we're going to get to the end of this year and they're going to have two years left on their deal on a team that's probably two years away from being decent. And there's a small part of me that worries, well, what's going to happen in a year when, you know, Christian Wood is a year away from free agency and the Rockets are still not in a great spot. What's going to happen with Jeremy Grant in a year when Detroit's still in the lottery and he's a year away from free agency. That's something we can unpack a little bit more as well. But I just kind of look at it and I think the argument in favor of making the Brooklyn trade that Houston did was that flexibility you mentioned, right? You're not constrained to any specific timeline. If you want to trade some of those picks for something more immediate, yeah, go for it. That's always going to be on the table. Teams are always going to want picks. If you want to wait it out and say this is going to be a five-year plan, you can do that too. I think Houston, in hindsight, correctly understood that there was no path through James Harden, to being a contender in the next two or three years. They might have been able to be have been decent. They might have been able to be a four or five seed. I think they understood, just given the situation that they were in, and frankly, the situation that Daryl Morey left them in, and I don't blame Morey for that because they had a couple of really decent chances to win the title. So 
I'm not blaming Morey for that, but Daryl Morey did not leave them in a position that was conducive to competing. So I think they understood we need that flexibility because we don't know what the future is going to hold. Now, what that means for the next couple of years is that you're looking at a two-year window to tank. The Rockets control their own pick in 2022. They control their own pick in 2023. And then Oklahoma City controls their picks thereafter. So basically, the situation they're in now is they have to decide, are we going to be competitive over the next few years, try to re-sign Victor Oladipo, you know, try to supplement John Wall and keep P.J. Tucker and keep Eric Gordon, or are we just going to let this thing die so that we can take a couple of high draft picks over the next couple of years and be ready when we start giving our picks to Oklahoma City? I think that's where they're leaning, especially now that they haven't signed Oladipo. Now, I disagree with the logic of offering him the extension that they did under those circumstances, but do you agree that they're probably going to tank over the next couple of years? May I present to you, Sam, a third option, if I may? Please. I present to you what I call the organic tanking option. And I say I I say that and I put that disclaimer on there because I think there's a a clear distinction between just – not being good enough, like still trying to cultivate young talent, still you know doing the right thing as far as rebuilding, but not actively tanking games. And I think that ultimately what we're going to see, especially out of the second half of this Rocket season, is they're still going to be kind of a, a feisty competitive team. They're they're going to opt more, hopefully, fingers crossed. And we'll get into this, of course, talking about some of the hypothetical trades for some of the uh, the more veteran guys on the roster. But you know between. Uh, Christian Wood bringing up Kevin Porter Jr. from the G League, uh, you know, Jay Sean Tate, uh, KJ Martin Jr. You know, they've got a a lot of young, exciting players, but ultimately I think they're going to continue to lose, but in an organic sense where they're just going to be either A, outclassed on a nightly basis, um, or they're just going to, you know, really go with this youth movement and decide, hey, we're going to cut the young guys loose. We're going to let them, you know, experience NBA basketball at the highest level. Let them get their reps in, really hope that, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood can turn into some type of a dynamic duo and just kind of let the let the chips fall where they may. And I don't think that's the same as like actively tanking, you know, aiming to be bad, intentionally losing games, you know, no, no development, none of that. I I think I kind of differentiate the two. I don't know if you agree with that sentiment or not, but that's kind of what I see this team doing and pivoting away from because of the Christian Wood injury and because of the 13 game losing streak that they currently find themselves on. I think the difference you're describing is sort of the difference between Oklahoma City right now where they're competitive every night and they just keep finding ways to lose in the fourth quarter and say the process era Sixers were like, that team was not put on the floor in order to cultivate development. That team was put on the floor specifically to generate lottery balls in May. Exactly. And that's that's the distinction. I don't think that the Rockets are quite going to go that far for a variety of reasons. The biggest of which is John Wall is going to be on that team for the next two years. And we can talk about John Wall's athleticism now versus when he was maybe, at his peak. Maybe he'll be on the team for the next two years, and that's definitely an area we'll touch base on. I think it's, let's say it's very likely that John Wall is going to be on the team for the next several years. And I think John Wall, just given his basketball IQ, given how much easier he makes life on younger players especially, I think there is a baseline competence where, obviously without Christian Wood, they just haven't had the scoring punch. They haven't been able to do anything on offense. But if you have a somewhat well-designed NBA team, having John Wall get you past the process era Sixers level. 
I don't know if it takes you up to, say, being out of the bottom five in the NBA. I don't know what the ceiling is, and I think it's frankly quite low. But I think you're right. I think that's around where they're going to be. They're probably going to be drafting fairly high over the next few years. I don't know if that means number one or number five, but we're looking at 2024, and that's the moment where you probably have to have your core in place, right? Because once you start giving picks to Oklahoma City, you have the Brooklyn picks. We have no clue what they're going to be. You could tell me that Brooklyn gives them three number one overall picks. You could tell me that Brooklyn only gives them picks 25 or later. I'm at a total loss. I don't know quite what to say about their future. But that 2024 goalpost, that is when you have control over your picks. And once you lose that, it becomes significantly harder to rebuild because suddenly your draft fortunes are tied entirely to another team. And another team, frankly, that's pretty smart. And even if they were to lose their stars, or even if their stars were to age out of stardom, I would probably peg Brooklyn as fairly competent. So I wouldn't look at those at those Brooklyn picks as, say, the jewels that the Brooklyn picks that Boston got were. So it's in their best interest to be bad. We don't quite know how bad that they're going to be, especially with if you presume that John Wall is mostly healthy and Christian Wood is mostly healthy. The key to being bad beyond that is going to be getting rid of the other veterans. So I think Victor Oladipo is probably where we need to start. And where Victor Oladipo fascinates me is there is star caliber upside here, right? Like three years ago, this guy was one of the 15 best players in the NBA. He's probably gotten a good deal worse. I don't quite know where to peg it because he's been in this weird Houston situation. And before that, everything that happened with Indiana. What concerns me more than anything is that he's taking seven and a half threes a game. And for most players, I'd be totally on board with that. But he's only taking 4.6 shots in the restricted area per game. Ideally, I think the best version of him is one where those are either closer to even or more shots in the restricted area. I don't know that he's getting to the paint quite as much as I would like him to, and he's not a good enough shooter to be taking almost eight threes a game. What have you noticed from him offensively? Where do you think his ceiling is right now? Ultimately, it's been such a tough go of it for the Rockets to find any semblance of consistency. Just, you know, they've been plagued with just inconsistency throughout the lineups, you know, the injuries, losing Christian Wood for this extended stretch doesn't just negatively impact, obviously, the Rockets' ability to just win games. I mean, he's their, like, he's their best player. Um, you know, I think that there's, and there's definitely a sentiment uh, amongst Rockets fans and people who cover the team that there was a stretch where John Wall sat out for a few games and they did have Christian Wood and the team looked drastically different without John Wall out there. And it's just, there's a there's a, a connection between having the engine of your offense in Christian Wood and then having a guy who can adequately facilitate to that engine in John Wall. That's why we saw the Rockets win six games in a row. That's why they won seven of eight in a row when they started looking really good, when they, they had that level of lineup consistency for the first time all season. And I think ultimately... Victor Oladipo is, unfortunately, at this point, he's just largely too inefficient to be like a primary option, to be like a number one go-getter guy. But he gives you a lot offensively. He gives you some versatility. Um, he can be kind of a, like a secondary ball handler. He's got, you know, playmaking ability, especially in the pick and roll. Um, you know, I think one thing that's really stood out to me is his ability to uh, deliver pocket passes like on a dime to to rolling bigs. Um, his ability to throw lobs is kind of questionable. I don't know why uh, he never developed that ability. Uh, and I remember there was like a stat during one of his earlier Rockets games that apparently like he's uh, it was either he'd never thrown a lob pass or he'd only thrown well, like five 
successful lob passes in his career. I can or something tell you like why. I can tell you why he hasn't thrown lob passes. Look at who his centers have been through his career. In Orlando, it's Vucevic, and I'm sorry, Vucevic, for all of his gifts, does not really have hops. He goes to Oklahoma City, and he plays with Westbrook, who, I'm sorry, if you're playing with Westbrook, you're just not going to have many chances to run pick and roll. Then he goes to Indiana, and it's Sabonis, who, again, Sabonis has plenty of other offensive gifts. He's not getting up there for a lot. So we saw this with Mike Conley a little bit in Utah last year, where he had spent his entire career with Mark Gasol, and that's an entirely different sort of pick and roll than running it with Rudy Gobert, and it took him the entire year, and finally... By the time they get to the bubble, it's like, oh, okay, he's figured it out. He's had enough reps. I'm not too worried about Oladipo throwing lobs. I think that's an experience sort of thing. That's fair, and, and I and I appreciate the insight behind it. I, you know, I, I think that when we when we originally approached that uh, that. Uh, that fascinating uh, statistic, I, I suppose. Uh, you know, we we did get the. Uh, the clarification behind it, the the uh, understanding behind why that is, but ultimately, offensively, he gives you. He's a good. He's a good player. Like that's what I walk away from. He's a good player that has been definitely in a bit of a shooting rut, and he has been adversely impacted by the fact that the Rockets' system, without Christian Wood and without any serviceable bigs behind Christian Wood, because they did have Demarcus Cousins, who I I think that they thought that they could potentially tread water with DeMarcus Cousins while Christian Wood was rehabbing his his ankle injury. And ultimately, Cousins at this stage in his career is not able to give you more than just being a essentially like a pick-and-pop center. That's all he's he got. He wants to can't stand roll. behind the arc and fire. That's all he wants to do. I, no, I, w- I will debate year? you to say that that's not all he wants to do. That's all he can do. Okay. He wants to do more, but that's all he can do. And he, unfortunately, hasn't realized that quite just yet. And that made it a very uh, tough experience to watch him try to fill the shoes of Christian Wood on a nightly basis in the absence uh, of the Rockets starting five because – he can't roll to the rim. He can't post up. He doesn't have the lateral quickness defensively to not be, you know, isolated multiple possessions in a row. You have to play uh, drop coverage with him defensively, which, you know, again, that hamstrings you into a certain style of play defensively, which is why we saw the Rockets start to uh, drop, uh, you know, pretty quickly in the in the defensive standings uh, because they just couldn't they, they didn't have the same versatility that they had with Christian Wood at the five spot. So ultimately, Victor Oladipo has had a very rough go of it as a Houston Rocket because he lost his pick and roll partner in Christian Wood. He's been isolating very heavily. He, you know, has to fight, you know, every single possession to try and get to the rim with very little help from uh, from others. He's, you know, operating off ball sometimes as just a, you know, a purely catch and shoot three point guy, which is not his forte. There's just a lot that's gone wrong, unfortunately, for Oladipo, which doesn't exactly help or inflate his trade value. I think the pro of trading for Victor Oladipo is that he does not look physically compromised to me. I mean, he's not quite as explosive as he was when he was in Indiana, but like that guy is still beating people off the dribble, especially if he's in a properly spaced offense. And if you put him with the right sort of big that he really can run pick and roll with, I think he would be able to do most of the same things he did with the Pacers. The downside is most of the teams that are trading for him are sort of in a similar position to where Oklahoma City was when they traded for him, which is, we have Russell Westbrook, you're going to be the secondary ball handler, and Victor Oladipo, as you said, is not really a catch-and-shoot guy. He's kind of had stretches, especially early this year in Indiana, where he did look pretty good in catch-and-shoot situations, but for the most part, he's somebody who wants to run a bunch of pick-and-roll, and if you land on a contender most of the time, 
they're going to have a ball handler that's better than Victor Oladipo. Now, what really interests me from an Oladipo perspective is that the upside is so high, yet I think he's pretty attainable, right? Like, the cost of trading for him from the Rockets' perspective, if they get a first-round pick, even if it's a protected one, that's probably a win since he's probably going to leave this offseason. I don't think this is the same as teams saying, should we mortgage our future to trade for James Harden? Should we mortgage our future to trade for Bradley Beal or even Kyle Lowry? I feel like almost any contender could credibly get in the running for Oladipo. So let's start backwards here from Houston's perspective. Who is the one team or the few teams that you're eyeing and saying, this is where I want to trade Oladipo because I'm going to get X, Y, or Z? I'm really... I have my eye, the two big ones that I keep revisiting and keep coming back to, and so do many others, are the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets, ultimately. Um, and I think those are two situations. You talk about you know, Oladipo going to a potential contender and you know being forced into a situation much similar to Oklahoma City, where he is the secondary ball handler. And I ultimately think that in both of those situations, you could make an argument that those teams could benefit from him obviously not taking over as like the essential, you know, the primary ball handler, but you know, you send him to, if you send him to Denver and he becomes the, the backcourt mate of, of Jamal Murray, then Murray can easily play off ball and allow Victor Oladipo to, to run, you know, a lot of pick and roll with Jokic. And then Jokic, obviously a lot of the offense running through him, um, you know, Victor Oladipo would get some really easy looks running off, you know, just back cuts and that kind of stuff. So I think that there's a situation where, Oladipo in Denver makes a lot of sense. And I think the Miami Heat are an interesting area as well. But I, I kind of walk away. I kind of backtrack from the Heat a little bit because some of the rumors, right, about the Heat wanting to potentially throw together some, you know, package centered around or potentially throwing together a package centered around maybe, you know, Harrow or Precious Achua and some of their expiring deals to try and get another impact guy to bring in uh, to kind of give them that jolt that they really need. I, I revisit it because. Ultimately, if the Heat weren't going to give up Tyler Harrow for James Harden, then why would they suddenly want to give up Tyler Harrow for somebody like Victor Oladipo or potentially as an alternative, John Wall? Like, I mean, because that's another name where potentially you get into who's available on this, you know, at this trade deadline, who's on, you know, who's potentially on the market. And Kyle Lowry may or may not be on the trading block, depending on what direction the Raptors want to go. I think it would be a travesty if they trade him because um, he's arguably the greatest Raptor in franchise history. That might be controversial, but I mean, no, I, I with agree it. with you. Yeah, okay. that's that's very much a like Kawhi is the best player who has ever worn a Raptors uniform or I guess Akeem, if you really want to be super technical because he yeah, spent the one year sure. there. Vince had the highest like multi-year peak. Kyle Lowry is the most important player in Raptors history. Right? I think we yeah. go with that. And, and so ultimately, right, I think it would be a travesty if they were to trade him, unless it was one of those, like, again, like the Grizzlies with Mike Conley, where it's like, hey, we're going in a different direction. What would do you want to go to a like, what do you want to do? And if they and if they decide that, you know, parting ways is what he wants to do, then by all means, do right by your player. But past that, right, if if Lowry's not on the move this deadline, you can make the argument that with as well as he's played this season, John Wall is, you know, a really, again, another asset that the Rockets could look to potentially move. The biggest issue with that is his his very bloated contract. Like, what would you do? But the Heat are kind of in a prime position where. They've got the expirings to make that happen. Does does John Wall, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo make sense in South Beach? 
maybe, maybe not, but it's something that they could potentially be looking at. And so I come back to those teams for Victor Oladipo, and then the dark horse one that kind of came out of nowhere was the Golden State Warriors potentially looking at Victor Oladipo, although I can't really come away with a package that like makes sense for the Warriors to give up. Like I'm just, I'm kind of struggling on that end, but if they have interest, then there must be, you know, there's reported interest there. So there must be something, uh, you know, going on on that front. But those are kind of my three teams that I walk away from. And then a little bit further down the line, the New York Knicks. I think Miami just given their inherent ambition probably isn't going to do anything major, unless it's like Bradley Beal. If they can get Bradley Beal tomorrow, they're going to throw caution to the wind and do it. But I think the fact that Miami has max cap space this offseason is going to preclude them from going after someone, especially like Wall, who has a long-term deal. But even Oladipo, because they're probably thinking, if we want Oladipo, we think we can get him over the summer. We don't have to give anything away. And even if we can't, we'd probably rather have whatever we can get for free than Oladipo minus whatever we have to give up for Oladipo. I think that's even truer with Wall. I love the Denver fit. I think... If I could pick somewhere to send. Sorry, Sam, though, Sam, just just one just one clarification on the Miami Heat front, because somebody much smarter than myself when it comes to cap gymnastics and logistics and whatnot um, pointed out in Rockets Twitter that it actually does uh, behoove the Miami Heat to trade for Victor Oladipo rather than to outright sign him, because I forget exactly the logistics okay, I can, of who they have I, to I let go. Explain. So the yeah. basics of it is they can't pay Victor Oladipo the max if he's a free agent. They essentially punted away full max space when they signed Bam Adebayo to an extension. They gave up, I I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like $15 in immediate cap space to re-sign Bam. That's another thing that we've litigated on this podcast in the past. They did it. They wanted to show their guy that he was going to be there for the future. That's an entirely separate conversation, but you are technically right. They can't give Victor Oladipo the full max. But they're looking at something like 25 to 30 million in cap space this offseason. And if you have that much to offer, I know Oladipo wants the max. If you're throwing four years at like 120 million at Oladipo, is anybody going to top that? Doubtful. Um, yeah. And especially when you consider, you know, South Beach living and all that, it, it, it's probably I just wanted to clarify that one point yes. just because, again, somebody else highlighted it. And I, I don't consider myself an expert when it comes to the cap. I have a working knowledge of it. And, you know, I I frequent CBA FAQ all the time to make sure that I, I sort of know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I definitely wanted to just highlight that little that little morsel. I want to go back to Denver, though. I think that's my favorite fit on the board. Because I think when we think of somebody who really runs a lot of pick and roll as a ball handler, we think of them the way we think we thought of Victor Oladipo that first year in Indiana, where it was sort of a very simple, he's going to run high pick and roll, he's going to get to the basket, he's going to pocket pass it to his big, or he's going to kick it out to the corner. It's very mechanical, it's one or two passes, very straightforward. Denver's offense is a lot more fluid than that, and I think even if he is an off-ball player, there are a lot more opportunities for him to say, get the ball with eight seconds left on the shot clock after Jokic and Murray have already run their dance and they've compromised the defense. And no, okay, now Oladipo, you're attacking a closeout or, you know, you're getting them on, you're killing them on back cuts. There are any number of ways that I think having Jokic as a center can really unlock Oladipo as an off-ball player, even if he isn't a great catch-and-shoot player. And the idea of getting his defense there, especially if he can get back to he was legitimately an all defense player when he was that first year with the Pacers. Oh yeah. He gets back to that level. And I think he's been mostly pretty good in Houston, but not that good. That solves a lot of problems for the, for the nuggets. 
it doesn't solve the biggest, which we saw in the playoffs against the Lakers last year, which is they just have no answer for LeBron. But guess what? Most teams don't have an answer for LeBron. If you can solve all the other problems, maybe you beat the Lakers that way. I like the idea of Denver from that perspective. Are we talking picks? Are we talking... I don't think they're giving up Michael Porter for Oladipo, but are there any other young guys there? Like, personally, I've become a big fan of Zeke Naji. I don't know how well he would fit with Christian Wood. What's the package you're eyeing there? I think that you have to look at the baseline as it's got to be Oladipo and then Harris just for salary matching purposes, whatnot. Um, but then you start getting into, okay, what is the actual return for Victor Oladipo? And that's where you get that that question mark of, and I come away from this, everybody wants, you know, everybody's eyeing Michael Porter Jr. Everybody's like, well, how can we, how can the Rockets get Michael Porter Jr.? And I, I constantly hear this debate, see this debate, and I, I constantly think about the fact that, Look, it doesn't matter if Michael Malone is is you know constantly saying negative things about him. It doesn't you know it doesn't matter if he's making boneheaded decisions in the game. MPJ's potential is still through the roof, and ultimately, I look at the Nuggets as a team. You know, you look at, at Jokic, who's only 26 years old. I think Murray is what a couple years younger than that, like 23, 24, somewhere around there. He was 19 coming out of out of college, so yeah, he's only I think 23. Yeah, so the the Nuggets have this really extended window, much more so than any of the other, you know, quote unquote contenders out there, in that they can almost weather the storm of the Western Conference with how brutal it is right now, and potentially look to you know strike or be in their you know their their prime championship window, you know, two, three, four years down the line from now, conceivably when MPJ is closer to hitting his true potential as a player rather than banking on, you know, some, some crate. I don't know. Basically my point is I don't see why they would give up on MPJ quite just yet. Right. And I'll I'll add to that. If they were going to send Michael Porter to the Rockets, it would have been for James Harden. Exactly. Right. And then same, same, same sentiment as the Tyler Harrow situation with the Miami heat. And I think that every team that had a conceive, you know, a a young cornerstone type guy like MPJ or Harrow or, or the Ben Simmons deal who didn't pull the trigger or, or put up, you know, push all the chips in for a James Harden deal. They've got to be kicking themselves right now, seeing how good the nets are, but that's, you know, different conversation for a different time. Um, I really like RJ Hampton, honestly. Um, I think he would be an interesting piece to throw in there. Um, potentially you can maybe look at just some draft capital coming back. I think ultimately the Rockets are definitely, they're eyeing young players, uh, especially on rookie deals so that they can have ultimate club control, you know, for at least, uh, conceivably two, three, or, you know, ideally four seasons, if they can get it, um, you know, three and a half seasons, whatever at the trade deadline. Um, so a guy like Hampton would be pretty interesting, but it depends on how highly the Nuggets value Victor Oladipo and whether or not they think he really, you know, pushes the needle that much further for them to to make a push this season. And then on top of that, if you're the Nuggets, is it a rental or do you feel confident in being able to re-sign Victor Oladipo and have him be essentially your your third in a trio of Jokic, Murray, and then Depot, and then obviously MPJ on the come up kind of behind those three? Um, or you can make the argument on the same level as Oladipo with kind of where he's at right now in his career. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, you know, Denver makes a lot of sense from a lot of different angles. And I feel like they have a lot of different pieces that they could potentially offer back to the Rockets, be it Nanji, be it uh, Hampton, be it future draft capital, or if they uh, decided to, I guess, get really high before making the trade, then MPJ as well. To get a little cat nerdy here, 
I feel like Victor Oladipo has sort of gotten screwed by the extended trade rules. We saw this when Oladipo was only offered a two-year, $45 million extension from the Rockets. He turned that down. He thinks he can get more, and I think he probably can. That rule is meant to prevent situations like, say, the Knicks trading for Car- or No, no, that's not that. That rule is meant to prevent teams from trading for players and then signing them to extensions I guess they otherwise couldn't have. But it's not meant for players like Oladipo, who signed a pretty team-friendly extension in Oklahoma City, at least what it turned out to be at the time. We thought it was probably an overpay. They can only offer him $45 million. I think if Denver could offer him a market value extension, he would probably think about taking it, right? But they legally can't. So that puts them in a difficult position where if they're trading for Oladipo, they already lost Jeremy Grant after giving up a first-round pick for him. Do they want to give up another premium asset for somebody that could say, yeah, sure, I'd love to be here. You know, this would be a great place for me to spend my prime. And then all of a sudden you get to free agency and poof, he's gone just like Jeremy Grant was. I think they would be a little gun-shy for that exact reason. So I love the fit. I question the motive. Golden State is sort of the opposite, where I'm not crazy about the fit. I mean, we went through this with D'Angelo Russell a little bit, and we've gone through it with some other guys that they've pursued, where whether it was Drew Holiday or Bradley Beal, fundamentally you're saying, we're going to play Clay Thompson out of position when he gets back. We're probably going to play Andrew Wiggins out of position when they get, when Clay gets back. I don't know how I feel about that other than to say, well, you know what? You don't know how much longer Steph's prime is, and you probably want to add as many win-now players as you can. Oladipo is a pretty attainable win-now player, so I guess it would be Kelly Oubre in picks, probably. I, I, I don't see the Rockets taking back Andrew Wiggins. Draymond and Clay are obviously staying put, so I guess that's what it would be. I don't think they would give up James Wiseman or the Minnesota pick. I just don't really see the fit there, but... I understand Golden State's idea of, you know what, this is an undervalued asset. Why don't we go get it and see what happens? But I personally, I'm not crazy about that fit. Another team I've sort of been eyeing, and everybody has them connected to Kyle Lowry, is Philly. Now, the shooting could be a bit of an issue if you put Oladipo and Simmons in the lineup together. But they obviously have a number of good young players that could make sense in a trade. And they have a couple of tradable first-round picks that they could offer. Again, the shooting is a little questionable, especially with Daryl Morey as the GM. You know, the idea of having two iffy shooters and two perimeter positions. Sam, imagine for a moment walking away from, like, the trade deadline this season after being tied in so many rumors, everybody really feeling like James Harden was going to reunite with Daryl Morey and and form this dynamic duo of Harden and Embiid in the East, and they were going to, you know, run, run a gauntlet through everybody out in the Eastern Conference, and you walk away and you didn't you missed out on the James Harden sweepstakes but guess what you got Victor Oladipo like how bad must that feel like if that's like what a fall from grace i guess if you're the Sixers i just i can't i honestly can't even see it like from a pride perspective if you're Daryl Morey like would you really be willing to give up assets future you know young young player anything of value for Victor Oladipo after already missing out on the James Harden trade with the reports being that they were ready to pull the trigger on the Ben Simmons deal. Like they had gone so far as to inform Simmons that he might be traded. Like, I mean, come on. I think they're going to make some sort of win now move. And you, I'm sorry, you have to sort of look at the James Harden situation as a sunk cost. I think if they could go back to the day that deal was made, they would say, fine, take Maxi, take Thibault, take whatever. Harden is that good. I think they probably have regrets and it's a little, it's hard for me to 
garner much sympathy for Daryl Morey on that front because you know what, Daryl? You knew exactly how good James Harden was. You can't pull the excuse that some of these other teams have. So Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's sort of a sunk cost. I think you have to look at it and say, James Harden is gone. Now we're just trying to figure out how best to improve our team. Lowry makes the most sense because he fits on both sides of the ball. Oladipo does give them that little bit of ball handling punch that they need. Obviously, he'd be helpful on defense. The shooting is my only question there. The other one, and I hate to bring this up because they shouldn't just be tied to every big name because this is who they are. I would not be super upset if the Lakers offered Dennis Schroeder in a pick for Victor Oladipo. Dennis Schroeder has been very up and down this year. He plays very similar to, similarly to Oladipo in that very good point of attack defender, maybe not as good in help because he's pretty small, you know, better attacker than he is shooter. The fact that the Lakers haven't come to an extension with Dennis Schroeder at this point is, I'm not going to go with concerning, but I would say I, if they were as tied to Schroeder as their point guard of the future as maybe it seemed like they were when they made the trade, they probably would have agreed to something by now. Unlike Victor Oladipo, he is not still bound to the extend and trade rules, or at least there is a limit to what they can extend him at. I believe it's in the 90 million range. But the point is, he can get a market value extension right now. The fact that he hasn't is sort of confusing. The Lakers need something. I, I don't quite know what it is besides just put more shooting on that team. I wouldn't be super surprised if it was them. I want to turn my attention to P.J. Tucker, though, because unlike Oladipo, P.J. Tucker fits on any team. <laughs> you could put P.J. Tucker on any any remotely decent team, and whether it's, okay, you're just a traditional stretch four, you're a small ball five, you're starting, you're off the bench, whatever the role is, I think P.J. Tucker could credibly fit on almost any roster. I hate to even list the teams that he makes sense for, because that list would just be all 30 teams. It might even be some teams in Europe. It might even be some teams in the G League, whatever. Like, literally any organized basketball team could use P.J. Tucker. Agreed 100%. The question I have now is, what version of P.J. Tucker are they getting? I personally think he's been a little worse on defense, I think it's been a little overblown. He's 35. It makes sense. I think the decline has been a little overblown, but like he is mostly still a very good defender. The question is shooting. He's shooting 31% this year. How much of that is decline on his part? How much of that is, oh, James Harden isn't setting him up in the corner anymore? I think it's a little bit of both, Sam. Ultimately, you know, you talk about PJ Tucker being essentially a chameleon, right? You plug him in on any team and he'll he'll find a way to fit. Um He's also, you know, and I've spoken about this at length at Locked on Rockets, but, um, you know, he's a player that definitely benefits from, you know, being in a system where there's, you know, a a, gravit- a gravitational type player, you know, like a, like a James Harden, like a LeBron, like a Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, the list goes on and on and on of these types of guys who provide the gravity to allow other the, the role players, the 3 and D guys on the team to get these wide open looks. And he's just not getting that anymore out of this Rockets system. Um, he was getting it a little bit during, you know, while they still had Christian Wood because they were running uh, an offense that actually looked like some semblance of a, you know, competent NBA offense. Granted, it was still roughly around middle of the pack, even with everybody healthy. Um, I think it would have risen a few more notches uh, had they conceivably kept everybody, you know, healthy for longer than eight games in a row. But legitimately, you plug P.J. Tucker in anywhere, he's going to figure it out. I think his shooting is probably down a little bit because, let's face it, you know, what's he playing for? He's 35 years old, lost his best friend in James Harden who forced his way out via trade. Those two are very, very tight. Um, 
And ultimately now he's he you know, these players, they're not idiots. They can see the writing on the wall. They can see exactly what's going on with the team. And so what exactly does P.J. Tucker have to play for here in Houston currently? So it wouldn't be beyond me or, you know, it wouldn't blow my mind to think, okay, well, he's not playing his best basketball because he's just unmotivated. There's not really a reason for him to uh, try as hard on either end of the court. Um, ultimately, I don't think he's being like unprofessional about it. He's still going out there doing his job on a nightly basis, doing whatever the team asks him to do. Uh, but I definitely think if you plug him into a winning situation where he's, you know, competing again for a title, he gives you everything he has every night on both sides of the floor. Uh, and, and I feel like the shooting isn't a big worry and defensively you talked about it being a bit overblown. I agree with you. I think he's clearly lost a little bit of a step, um, gotten a little bit slower now that he's a little bit more long in the tooth. Uh, but he's still a guy who can guard positions two through five with ease, you know, probably struggles a little bit more. So with some of those quicker twitchier guards, again, like the Dennis Schroeder types in the league these days. Um, but Ultimately, any contending team would be lucky to have P.J. Tucker on their roster to be able to slot in, uh, whether, like you said, starting, coming off the bench, situationally, certain matchups, whatever you, whatever have you, uh, it, you know, the other 29 teams in the league would love to have him. I would also argue that P.J. Tucker losing a step in terms of his speed is maybe not as impactful as other guys doing so. Now, he does he is at his best in a defense that switches. Unless you're switching legitimately one through five and, like, say you're playing against Brooklyn and you're expecting him to stay in front of Kyrie Irving, okay, maybe that wouldn't be ideal. But I think when you think of the value of P.J. Tucker in a switching defense, it's more so that he can stay at home on shooters, he can stay in front of most bigger isolation players, and that he's totally comfortable in the post, right? Like, he's not going to get bullied by, unless you're talking about Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, he's not going to get bullied by most big men, so... I'm not really worried about the defense. I want to reverse engineer the rumors a little bit. We've seen Brooklyn mentioned as a possible destination. I would argue that if Brooklyn was going to get P.J. Tucker, they would have gotten him in the James Harden trade, right? Like, if if the Nets had anything left over that the Rockets would have wanted, I imagine the Rockets would have come away with it in the Harden trade. To me, that means Brooklyn is probably, I'm not going to say out, but unlikely. I think you mentioned this earlier with Harden. I don't know that Tillman Fertitta wants to trade with Daryl Morey right now. I'm sure Philly would love P.J. Tucker. I think unless they were really offering something very special that I don't think they would, he's not going to Philly either. So that I'll, I'll put, uh, Sam, I'll push back on that one a little bit more so just because I think that ultimately, right, it, it's a little bit different trading James Harden versus trading P.J. Tucker. Right. And I think that, you know— Tillman for Tito, you know, the, the, the pride that he just exudes in, in everything that he he does. I think that ultimately, you know, it's a little bit of a different gambit moving, you know, a, a role player who's got, you know, half a season left under contract is 35 years old, you know, isn't hasn't been the mainstay of your franchise versus the franchise player who turned his nose up at your team, said, I want out, trade me, I want to leave. And then you've also got your former general manager, who's one of the teams that he would like to go to. I think that's a very different dynamic. Ultimately, I would hope, fingers crossed, and I think ultimately that Tillman Fertitta, who's not very involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the Rockets, but, you know, kind of just big picture stuff would not mind if Rafael Stone, you know, got, you know, extracted the most possible value out of a PJ Tucker trade. And if that means going to the Philadelphia 76ers, I don't think that would be that much of an issue. I just think it's a very different dynamic from the Harden situation. I think that's fair. So I'll amend slightly to say, I'm not saying he wouldn't trade him to Philly. I'm saying Philly would 
probably have to have pretty clearly the best offer. Like, I don't think Philly is winning ties, essentially. Like, the tie is going to go to the other team. And that I can, and that one I will agree with you on. Absolutely. So the reports we've seen have been they would prioritize getting a younger player over a draft pick. So from contenders, who are a couple of players that you're eyeing? I mean, I think that some of the permutations that I've really been focused on are actually some of like, you know, I know we just finished talking about Oladipo, but I think there's definitely some permutations out there of certain trade scenarios that involve both Victor Oladipo and PJ Tucker, right? Like, you know, maybe, maybe Victor Oladipo alone isn't enough to extract all the value that the Rockets would want out of a potential contender. So then they throw PJ Tucker on top of that, that, you know, on top of that deal. And they say, all right, here, these are two win now pieces. Like you already said with PJ Tucker, you can plug into any of the other 29 teams in the league and he's going to find a way to succeed, especially if it's a team that's a, that's a legit contender with, you know, competent offense, defense, whatnot, not, you know, bottom five team in the league, like the Rockets are right now. Um, and I think some of those some of those options, right, the Miami Heat, an interesting one, the Denver Nuggets, which we spent a lot of time talking about, those are teams that could conceivably utilize a P.J. Tucker. Now, I know you look at the Denver Nuggets and they've got uh, Millsap, Jermichael Green, they've got, you know, other guys that they can slot in at that four spot. But any team that's looking to make a playoff push would kill to have a P.J. Tucker on their roster. I I need you to understand, Sam, I will mourn the day that P.J. Tucker is no longer a Houston Rocket. Now, that doesn't change the fact that I would like for them to trade him at the deadline and get get back some value for him. But he is such an amazing player to cheer for, and he does all the little stuff on the court, right? All the dirty work, all of that. He makes winning basketball plays is the ultimate way to describe his game, right? People look at the box score and they're thinking, oh, he's only got three points. He only attempted two shots, a couple of rebounds. But if you actually watch P.J. Tucker play the game of basketball— he makes the right reads, the right plays. He'll get you the crucial rebounds you need, all of that. And that's exactly what a contender would want. Now, I mean, as far as specific names go, you know, there, there's, again, we circle back to Denver with Najee. We circle back to the the Miami Heat potentially is another one. Uh, Precious Achua is an interesting one. Not straight up for P.J. Tucker, obviously, but these are just, you know, some interesting young younger players. I think ultimately one that is somewhat enticing to me is the potential of uh, – a Tucker for Tucker deal, if you will. Uh, I know where you're going with this. Involving the Lakers. Yeah, and, and but because we 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 got this random rumor, and I don't even remember where it started. Was the the idea of the Lakers moving Montrez Harrell for PJ Tucker? And I was like, that's oh, random. I have um, been at the forefront of the trade Montrez Harrell bandwagon. Just for the this is another cat nerd thing. The Lakers probably are not going to be able to keep Montrez Harrell because they used their mid level exception to sign him to a one year deal meaning they can only offer him 120% of what they what he made this year. They can only offer him $11.1 million next year. In a very cap-friendly environment in this offseason, somebody is going to offer him more than that. He is going to leave. I think it would be in their best interest to trade him for, A, somebody who's a better fit in the playoffs, which P.J. Tucker is a better fit in the playoffs than pretty Undoubtedly. anybody. Yeah. And, B, somebody that you could maybe keep for the next several years. So. I've been at the forefront of that bandwagon for a while. I don't know where it was first reported, but it makes a lot of sense. It, it, it makes a lot of sense for the Lakers, but like it makes almost zero sense for the Rockets is the problem. Like I, I walk away from that and may like, and then maybe you make the argument, okay, maybe if it's, you know, Montrez and Taylor Horton Tucker for PJ Tucker, then you, then maybe we're cooking with a little bit of grease. But then I get to the fact that, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker's on the final year of his deal, and all the Rockets are going to be able to do is extend the qualifying offer to him next season. So, so I, I hate 
this is, I hate to keep going back to the cap nerd. Well, he technically is protected by the Gilbert Arenas provision. He's restricted, but in, at least in the next two years, he can't make more than the mid-level exception. Now the reverse of that is that in the last two years of his deal, all bets are off and you could be paying him a gargantuan sum. I personally am lower on Taylor Horton Tucker than most are. He drives me crazy with his tunnel vision. That dude, once he starts his drive, like he he's trying a shot, like, like I, I like I've I've loved out of a drive like four times. Like I'd love to have Taylor Horton Tucker as the return for PJ Tucker if he was actually locked into like a, a true right. blue like rookie deal. But because there's no club control on him, it's like, well, what do you do? Like I mean, and so that's that's kind of my catch twenty two there is I'm intrigued by Taylor Horton Tucker for PJ Tucker, and I'm wondering how many times I can squeeze the word Tucker into a sentence without having to take a breath. No, but like, and that's kind of where I walk away from that one. And I'm like, well, the Montrez deal by itself makes zero sense, but Taylor Horton Tucker thrown in there, maybe there's a little bit of something going on there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where where I come away from that trade with. Well, the other thing the Lakers could do is, the Rockets don't value Montrez Harrell very much. I'm sure there are teams that would. So maybe it's a three-teamer where they send Montrez Harrell somewhere, Somewhere, somebody sends something else to the Rockets and Tucker goes to the Lakers. The Lakers also do finally have a tradable first-round pick. It's in 2027. The Rockets have shown no qualms about adding picks that far down the road. So I don't think they would mind taking that pick either. If I could pick one team to send Tucker to, it would be the Milwaukee Bucks because that team, more than any other, needs a small ball option at center. Brooke Lopez, if they're going to switch defensively, which I think the Miami Heat proved that they need to be able to do in the playoffs— Lopez can't do that. They need a small ball option. The problem is they do not have a single tradable first round pick and they only have four tradable second round picks. So I don't know what the deal is, but if I could send Tucker anywhere, it would be to Milwaukee. Now, maybe Pat Connaughton, is he good enough? Probably not. I just don't know what the the deal is. And I'm very, I'm upset about that because I think that's the best fit on the board. Yeah, and I I agree with you there as far as you know the fit making sense again from from Milwaukee's per- but then again you make you make that argument for any other team right any contending team would love to have PJ Tucker I, I appreciate the argument in favor of Milwaukee as the argue you know arguably best fit for PJ Tucker because they probably do need a, a small ball five because of you know Brooke Lopez's uh we'll say limitations um but ultimately. There's just not a return there that I think warrants the Rockets' overall interest. Like, I mean, what are we talking, you know, DiVincenzo? Not really. Like, I just, I don't know. Um, So, you know, I walk away from it thinking, you know, the market for P.J. Tucker, you know, I've had Rockets fans telling me, well, you know, the Rockets would be lucky to get a second-round draft pick for P.J. Tucker. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, any of the, you know, any of the teams that are, you know, actively, you know, pursuing a legitimate postseason push this season, if they have a late first, like, in this draft to throw at PJ Tucker, why not? They'd absolutely do that. We see that consistently with contending teams unloading their, you know, late first, which are almost essentially second round draft picks anyways, uh, to, to acquire that little bit of extra support in their rotation to, to turn a, you know, an eight man rotation into a nine man or a nine man into a 10 man rotation going into the playoffs. And for the type of caliber of player that PJ Tucker is and what he brings to a contending team, I don't think for a second that his value is as low as just a second round draft pick. I think, you know, conceivably a young player in return, ideally on a rookie contract, or a first round, a late first, or a future first is not a, a hard bargain. Do you think I'm, I'm, you know, overstepping here, Sam? 
No, it's supply and demand, right? Like, how many players in the NBA exist that do what P.J. Tucker does? It's a short list. How many teams want a player that does the things that P.J. Tucker does? Every team does. So I think in that sense, like, if one team isn't willing to give up a first-round pick, okay, somebody's going to. We saw this with Andre Iguodala last year, right? Like, people weren't sure what were the Grizzlies going to be able to get. He hadn't played all year. He was expensive, yada, yada, yada. Well, we kind of knew that the floor was the Clippers had that I think it was a Dallas pick. No, it wasn't a Dallas pick. It was they, the Clippers had some second round pick. Oh no, no. Now I remember what it was. The Mavericks. Sorry, the Mavericks had some high second round pick that I think ended up being thirty one or thirty two, and we knew that was the floor, right? They were going to be able to get that pick at the very minimum, and then it turned out they had first round offers and they chose Justice Winslow. When you're talking about players that do things that are as rare as what PJ Tucker does, you're always going to be able to get some decent offer. That might be a decent young player. It might be a first-round pick. Or I think at a bare minimum, maybe it's like several second-round picks. It's not going to be one second-round pick. I feel pretty comfortable saying the Rockets are going to be able to get a decent enough return on P.J. Tucker. I don't know quite what that means. It'll depend on what every other team does. But I would feel pretty comfortable saying they're going to get something decent back. They're going to be happy with their return on investment, let's say. Now, you mentioned John Wall as a trade candidate earlier. I am a bit skeptical given the contract, but do you think there's a real chance? Like, do you think somebody would take him on? You know, I pitched this one the other day on a on a episode of Locked on Rockets, a just kind of a trade speculation episode as we were about three weeks out from the deadline. I think it was last week. And if Danny Ainge were to decide to stop sitting on his hands and actually like decide to utilize some draft capital in a trade potentially i threw out the idea of like a kimball walker for john wall swap because i think that addresses some of the needs for the celtics and i think he's just a better like tertiary fit to jalen brown and jason jason tatum uh you know in that dynamic that they have um but ultimately kimball walker's deal is like arguably worse than john wall's contract i mean john wall's contract's pretty bad for for what he provides but I kind of was entertaining that idea and then thinking like what, but then what would like the return have to be for the Rockets? Because then not only are you saddled with Kimball Walker's deal, what is the true return? So you're giving up a good player in John Wall who's, who's really had a, an incredible bounce back after his two year hiatus. He's absolutely, you know, we, we discussed it a lot, but just, you know, we kind of pictured John Wall in the in the the CP3 role of last year's Oklahoma City Thunder, where, you know, he's got a chance to rehab his his image after, you know, a couple of years off. Chris Paul had his down year. He comes back. He rehabs his value. The Thunder are able to then flip him into more assets, more than the original assets that they got in the trade in the first place. So the Rockets have already received one draft pick from the Wizards in this trade uh, by by trading Russell Westbrook. So what more value? Can they potentially extract from a future John Wall trade? And so I kind of sat on that one a little bit. The Miami Heat one remains another interesting option where, again, you know, I still am hard pressed to imagine the Heat wanting to give up Tyler Harrow. um, But I'd be intrigued by like Precious Achua as like an interesting young player with, you know, a, a reasonably high ceiling, somebody who's exciting, who could who could fit alongside Christian Wood, um, you know, kind of. Not necessarily playing, I guess technically he's playing the five, but right, like it's kind of interchangeable, like which one of those guys is really the five, but just as long as you've got Christian Wood who can still spot up from the three-point line, then you've got Achua in there who can be kind of your role man, that kind of situation. So there's some interesting opportunities there. Um, And I guess one that keeps like 
popping into my brain is the Clippers, although there's just no way to make that work mathematically. Um, yeah, it's and they, the same thing with Kyle Lowry. They would love to have Kyle Lowry. They have no way of getting Kyle Lowry. Exactly. And, and so, but but any team out there that's got even a remote interest in Kyle Lowry, obviously they're, you know, they're, they're different players, Wall and Lowry, but like at the end of the day, if you're looking to make that leap to make that upgrade, um, you know, John Wall's price point isn't that much higher than Lowry's, and ultimately he might be the more attainable of the two. Uh, and for a you know a lower overall cost, um, given what you know what he does give you on the basketball court. So I wouldn't be like totally surprised if the Rockets managed to find a trade partner for John Wall at this deadline. I just think that you know I thought it was going to take him an entire season to really rehab his value and kind of play himself back into shape and you know get back to an elite level but he's shown already that he's back at that elite level that he can be you know at, at worst your third best guy on a team that's really pushing for a title um conceivably he could I still I think right now based on how he's played I think he could be the second best guy on a team going for a title like legitimately and I'm trying I'm not like this isn't I'm not looking at it through like the Rockets red glare glasses or anything it's just he's been that good he's an incredible defender an all NBA caliber defender and he knows how to run an offense so you put the right the right weapons around him and you're going to see a lot of success so I think the Kemba offer is interesting I don't think Boston would do it just because the Celtics are really powered by inertia and I think they would probably just look at it and say, well, Kemba can shoot. That's easier to fit in the playoffs. Wall's a better defender. And, like, John Wall would not get picked on in the way that Kemba was by the Raptors last year. So I don't think they would do it purely because there isn't an overwhelming difference between the two right now. They're both injury risk. They're both super expensive over the next several years. I think they would just say, nah, let's stick with what we have. But I think that deal concept makes sense. Because also, if John Sam, Sam I apologize really quick because I, I, I just I meant to do this before, like uh, before we actually started kind of hammering out the details on it. But like if I were to ask you how old John Wall and Kimba Walker are without looking, don't look it up. Don't cheat. How old I know. I know Kemba is a few years older. I think Kemba's 32 and Wall is 29, 28. They're it's both something. 30. Are you, really? They really think- are. They're both 30. And that threw me off and i was actually the inverse wow, of you I'm, i thought kimba like i perpetually like in my head think kimba's like 25 for some reason 27 like kimba's 30 and wall is 30 and so that's like the craziest thing to me is if you did swap them out it's I, not like you're uh, you're jumping the gun or, or getting younger or older it's just they're the same age which is such it's really crazy to me i think of john wall as the 19 year old top prospect who went to kentucky and i think of kimba as the guy who like he won a national title at uconn like he was not the traditional like blessed as an NBA star from birth sort of guy. So I guess I have him older in my head, but yeah, okay. I, Wall was 2010 and Kemba was 2011. I think from a draft class here, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but wow. I mean, I'm surprised. I thought Kemba was actually a good deal older. Yeah. I just, I, I wanted to throw that one in there because as I was uh, going over that the other day in my podcast, um, with my guest, I was like, you know, I threw out the age, the age range out there too. And, uh, same thing, it threw my guest for a spin. He was like, Whoa, no way. Like, and I guess it's, you know, so it's probably a common thing. It's a probably a fun little thought experiment to throw out there to people be like, Hey, how old do you think these guys are? And just kind of gauge the, 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 the general responses. But I'll, I'll uh, again, I apologize for interrupting, but please continue down the, the pathway of, of the, the so- wall to the Celtics deal. So I don't think that deal in itself would happen, but I think the concept of 
wall for a similarly highly paid player who isn't necessarily a good fit in his current situation is kind of the right way to look at it. The problem is a lot of the guys who would have fit that bill or now have already been traded, right? Like if Philly still had Al Horford, a John Wall for Al Horford deal might make a little bit of sense. Now, we already talked about the Wall-Simmons fit isn't great, but I would argue that fit would be better than what the Embiid-Horford fit was. If you just kind of go down the list, a lot of the most expensive players have been traded recently. So I struggle to find a team that would look at John Wall and say, we are a John Wall away from true championship contention. That's my real issue. I don't know what team is so needing of a point guard, unless you really want to go down the road of the Knicks and say, like, the Knicks are so desperate for stardom, they don't care about fit, they don't care about contract, they're just going to add somebody. Now, I wouldn't rule that out because the Knicks are the Knicks, but I think it's unlikely. I think the overwhelming likelihood is that Wall is going to be with the Rockets at least going into next year. I think as that contract shortens, if he continues to look good, it might be easier to trade him. For now, I think he's staying put. The last guy I want to talk about, though, is Eric Gordon, because I thought Eric Gordon would be totally untradeable based on how he played last year. He's been better this year. If you were to trade Gordon, would you need positive value back, or would you just be happy getting off the contract? Uh, I think that the way that Eric Gordon has played this year, he's having a career year, and ultimately, is it like— I don't think it's a coincidence that Harden is gone, by the way. (laughs) I don't Um, think he is somebody that was ever totally happy standing around watching James Harden. And, and, you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, Gordon is a guy who is at his best, you know, when he's got the ball in his hands, we can when he can get going downhill, um, you know, and, and really kind of unlock his game that way. And then seeing the ball go through the hoop a few times, you know, getting some easy, uh, easy shots at the rim, you know, getting to the free throw line a little bit kind of unlocks his jumper as well. Um, so he's a guy that, again, he's absolutely rehabbed his value from last season. Now, the thing about Eric Gordon that's important to remember is. The final year of his deal isn't guaranteed unless he either wins a champ, unless his team wins a championship or he's named the all-star team, which let's face it, he's not going to be an all-star at that point in his career. He hasn't been an all-star. I forget. Has Eric Gordon ever been an all-star? I actually don't know. off the top. No, of I think there might've been a minute with the Clippers where like he was a candidate. I yeah, do think so- it's sort of funny though, with that guarantee where he might land on a team that would like almost be a little bit disappointed to win the title because it's like, damn, now we have to guarantee Eric Gordon $20 million when he's 36. I mean, but like if you win the title because Eric Gordon's on that team, then you like, you cut your losses with title revenue, like just whatever. But point is, so conceivably he's really only got two years left on his deal. So the extension doesn't look quite as bad. Um, And the way that he's playing, I mean, I think there's a legit argument there to say that there are some teams that would rather have Eric Gordon over Victor Oladipo considering that Oladipo is going to be looking for that max contract this summer uh you know the the fact that Gordon you've got him under club control for the the remainder of this season and then just two more years after that and then if you don't want him anymore then just you know get rid of him like I mean I think that Gordon remains really interesting and you know, while I was still holding out a little bit of hope during around probably like <laughs> around probably like the seven or eight game mark uh, of losses in a row for the Rockets, still kind of holding out a little bit of hope that maybe uh, they would be able to turn things around if they stopped the losing streak and, and whatnot. Eric Gordon has been kind of my benchmark for 
what the direction of this Rockets team is going to be. If they sell high on Eric Gordon with how well he's produced this season and how well he or how well he's played in the absence of James Harden, then I think that's a clear sign that this team is pivoting away from any semblance of like remaining competitive um in the in the midst of a rebuild and they truly are looking to you know be true blue sellers uh extract value for all their veterans that they can and then just prioritize the youth and the the youth movement getting guys like christian wood his proper reps getting kevin porter jr in there um uh kj martin jr like the the other younger uh guys anthony lamb who the rockets just committed to a two-way deal on like uh I think that's kind of my benchmark for for where the team is headed if they sell high on him at the deadline. Yeah, I I, I don't think that they would make a solo Eric Gordon trade. I think you're right. I think if they have made the decision that, like, okay, this team doesn't work, we're going to trade Oladipo, we're now going to consider trading Tucker, at that point you just say there's no real reason to keep Gordon if you can get off of that contract. The only reason to keep him at his age and on his deal is that you plan to be competitive for the next few years, which I think we both agree is Probably not the plan, at least not competitive in terms of trying to make the playoffs. I think there are some interesting fits out there, especially for the right price. Like you mentioned comparing him to Oladipo. I would rather have Oladipo the player, but would I rather have Oladipo at the price I expect Oladipo to cost or Eric Gordon at the price I know he's going to cost? That's a little more interesting, right? Yeah, like, and I think I think that's where you get into the subjective nature of it, where it's like, okay, well, what do you look? You've got this, you know, you've got Eric Gordon cost controlled. You know what he's providing you, all of that, versus the kind of the unknown of Oladipo. And it's, you know, there's I think there's more of a baseline where you look at Eric Gordon, and if you're doing it like on a scale of one to ten, like risk risk assessment, right? Eric Gordon's like a five. Or not, I guess not risk assessment, but like what ultimately he could provide you. His range is going to be somewhere in that like four to six range, give or take, on a scale of one to ten. But then Depot is somewhere on that like he could be as low as like a three or like up there around like the seven, eight, nine mark if he does get back to his, you know, all NBA caliber self. But that's a big if, if he's ever able to, you know, make that jump again and get back to that level of play. I think if they could just get off of the contract, they probably should do it like if Philly looked at Danny Green and said, you know what, this guy's not as good defensively as he used to be, and he's shooting 36% from three instead of the 40 we probably wanted, if we could flip him for Eric Gordon, get that extra bit of ball handling we need without having to break the bank for a Lowry or for an Oladipo or for someone else of that ilk, I think that would make sense for both sides, especially since Maury was the one who signed him to that extension. Now, I think that was probably more of an ownership-driven move than a Maury-driven move, but... Maury is clearly familiar with Eric Gordon. I think that would be a fit. And I agree with you in that extent, as long as they don't. And this is the part that, you know, has worried me a little bit is, you know, based on some of the previous practices of the Rockets organization and their, you know, just sheer avoidance of paying the luxury tax. Um, obviously, they're not in danger of paying the luxury tax anymore uh, th- this season after getting rid of both their max contracts in Russ and Harden. Um, now they're just paying John Wall the big money. But uh, one of my concerns was was potentially them offloading assets to to or you know 
packaging assets to offload the contract of Eric Gordon. As long as they don't do that, um, I still think there's at least a bit of a reasonable expectation to expect a little bit of value back in an Eric Gordon trade based on how well he has played this season and what he would be providing to another team. I don't think it's just enough to get back an expiring deal and be able to wash your hands and say, yep, we got rid of Eric Gordon. We did our jobs. No, like I think that, you know, at that rate, they might as well just hold Eric Gordon and, and, you know, let him continue to play at this level in a Rockets jersey, maybe revisit the trade market for him in the summer, maybe let him come back to camp and just kind of be that veteran presence and play again next season and then maybe revisit the trade discussions there. But I can't exactly see them just trading him just to say, OK, we got rid of the contract. That's that. Like, unless there's a little bit of value coming back, I wouldn't pull the trigger on a deal. It's not a particularly damaging contract in their context. I think it's a bad contract, but it's not like they were looking at this and saying, damn it, if we could just get off of Eric Gordon, we could sign that max free agent. Like, I don't think their plans are really deterred by having Eric Gordon there. So I get what you're saying, but just from my perspective, if I can get off of a bad contract, I'm usually going to do it. And that's been a theme of this show. But Jackson, I've taken up more than enough of your time. We've been going for more than an hour. You are the host of Locked on Rockets. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, just locked on rockets. You can check us out. We do shows, uh, Monday through Friday, five days a week. Uh, sometimes we adjust that ever so slightly. If there's, you know, a game on like a Friday night that we definitely want to have a recap up for, maybe we'll shift the episodes around a little bit here and there, but, uh, essentially you catch me over there. Uh, f- at least five times a week. Usually, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at locked on rockets. And then I'm also a partner at a Houston based media company, Apollo media. You can check us out at Apollo H O U for all things, Houston rockets, Astros, Texans, uh, lifestyle, just everything Houston based. Be sure to check that out. Jackson Gatlin. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Colin will be back later in the week whenever he gets to San Francisco. I don't know when that will be, Um, but that'll do it for us today. Like, subscribe, review, everything positive you can do about a podcast. Go do that. Um, So that'll do it for us today, and we will be back later in the week.